0: Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that dives deep into our exceptional leaders at Bain and spotlights the incredible work they're doing. You can look up their bios online, but that only scratches the surface of who they are. On this podcast, we share the stories that show why our leaders are truly extraordinary. Joining me today is Anne-Laurie Maloza, a partner in our Dubai office. She's passionate about DEI in the Middle East and outside of her client work, focuses her time on championing diversity and inclusion in the region. Today, we'll talk about her journey to Bain, where she's focusing her time and work in the Middle East, and the report we released this year on advocating gender equity in the Middle East workforce. Anne, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Keith, for having me with you today.
0: So I always like to start with the same set of questions, but where did you grow up and what was your path into business and into Bain?
1: I grew up in, in multiple countries. I'm a real third culture kid, so I had a chance you know, to grow up across continents between India, South Africa, France, Turkey, and a number of other countries. And I ended up doing my university studies in the US where originally my path in life, my aspiration was to go into social impact and work for the UN. So I studied political science at Mount Holyoke and Middle East studies. I knew I wanted to be in the region given that I'm originally half French, half Egyptian. So I have these ties to the Middle East and I wanted to go back and contribute in one way or the other. But you know, originally started more on the political science side and got a chance to work in that field, including with the UN and found that it was a lot more bureaucratic and sometimes more complex than I expected in terms of creating impact, especially at a more junior level. And so I got the chance to hear about consulting when I was doing my master's at Georgetown and you know was curious because the person who came to talk about it was an American Baini who worked in Dubai and was helping do very cool social impact related work or also business impact, both. But at a very young age, at a very junior level, he was already able to create impact, work with decision makers, work with both government and business leaders who were really creating change on the ground in their respective sectors and countries. And that got me really excited about considering consulting as a potential pathway. So it wasn't something that I had set out to do going into college, but I ended there because I was looking for a career where I could learn, do different things, and work on things that matter and really feel like I could have a, an impact and make a difference. And it kind of sounded like the perfect place.
0: So when you decided to go back to the region, you said you had lived all over the world. Did you really consider all of them home in some sense? Did you spend a lot of time in all those places that you mentioned?
1: I did, actually. I spent about three to four years in each And, you know, when people ask me, where do you feel is home, it's really hard to answer that question because I I really do feel I love something about every place that I've gotten a chance to live in. But I, I think now it's easier a bit. I've been in Dubai now for 12 years. So... I feel it's the place I've stayed in the longest. And I can say truly that it is home is where I've built my family. It's where I've been able to build great friendship and a support system. So I I now say that Dubai is home.
0: Yeah. And my wife and I, neither one of us is from Chicago. But at this point, as a couple, this is where we've made our couples friends and where we've raised our boys. And so we consider it home at this point. But let me ask you, Bain is a global firm. At this point, we have 70 offices in different cities around the world. Why did you choose to stay in Dubai? Because you it sounds like after three or four years, you feel like you need to get your passport stamped and move to another country, but you've chosen to stay in Dubai the whole time. Why is that?
1: And I was given that option, to be honest, multiple times, but I think the reason I stayed, because we have such a great transfer network, I think that the reason I stayed is One, I was doing work that I loved, that was super impactful. I work mostly in retail and public sectors, so I get to work with decision makers in those two spaces that were doing exciting work, a lot around growth and creation of new entities and plans and the like, so I loved it. And we get to travel quite a bit in the region, so we don't stay in Dubai so much. I'm often between Abu Dhabi, Saudi, a few other countries as well, So I did get a chance to travel, even though it wasn't changing between different offices.
0: Now, one thing we share in common, although we might've missed each other at AC Training by a year or two, kidding of course, but what was your journey like from AC through partner? A lot of people listening today might be getting their, their bachelor degree and thinking about consulting as a one or two year career, maybe three so they can go back to business school. But you've stayed a lot longer, as have I. What was your decision process like? Because it's not clear that you joined to be a lifer, but at this point you kind of are.
1: I love that question because, you know, I always tell people when they ask me that, I never knew that I would become a partner. It wasn't a life goal at all. Every year when someone would ask me, I'd say, look, I'm going to stay as long as I'm doing something I like and I enjoy. And I was always open to having discussions. And and I've seen so many Benis also go do something else and come back. I remember a partner actually I met who told me he left Bain three times and came back (laughs) every time. And I thought that was exciting and it's lovely to have a chance to just try different things. So I was really open to having discussions. And what happened is I think at Bain, you kind of live on a case-by-case basis. You do a project, you like it. Okay, then you wait for the next project. It's an exciting one. And as you get more senior, you get to shape what you work on more and more. And so it ends up being almost your startup space of creating your next case and shaping your next opportunity and when you have that flexibility honestly I mean as long as you enjoy the work you're doing and the people you're working with I don't see any reason to leave to be honest so that's why but I have to say you know it wasn't a plan and I feel that it it is important to to be open to that as you go through the journey you know I think most people start out without having that goal of becoming partner in mind because it also feels so far away and then it comes a lot faster than you expect (laughs) that's the other part
0: We are literally on opposite sides of the world, and I'm thinking of examples of the same types of people. You know, one I say I've stayed two years, 13 times, and the other thing is my first partner, uh, Sam Rovid, who we had on the podcast maybe a year or two ago. I think he's on his third or fourth go round with Bain as well. So you see, uh, we call them boomerangs. They you sort of they leave and they come back. Now, one of the things that I know for me personally that has made it work. Is that I can do the things I like to do outside of Bain and I can take on these extra 10% to do things inside of Bain that are fulfilling to me and that I really enjoy and it sort of adds to the overall experience. Can you share a little bit about how you've made it work and, and things that you're doing outside of work and inside of work that sort of continue to add to the energy pool?
1: Yes, of course. And I I really think what you're saying is critical because, you know, we give our best to Bain in many ways because we work on tough problems and we have to be on it really, you know, with our clients and the work that we do. So having that channel of energizing things to do also outside of work is so important. So I think one thing that has helped a lot is spending time with family and friends. A lovely part of Dubai is a lot of people are expatriates and this is also home for them. So you really get to create bonds that are very tight. A lot of those friendships were formed at Bain, but also outside. I have a seven-year-old son who keeps me, you know, running around <laughs> on different activities. I think they have schedules that are busier than that of ministers at that age. So I'm definitely busy on that side and, and energized. And doing a lot as well on topics like social impact. I've spent a lot of time since my eight years doing that at Bain. And doing that at Bain has actually enabled me to do more of it within Bain, I now had our EMEA practice for social impact, but also continuing to contribute to nonprofits in the region through board membership or supporting them through volunteering. So that's been a big part of also this energizing effort that I've been doing on the side or on top of work. And the last thing I'd mention is probably travel and food. I love food and travel. I'm a big foodie. I have an unofficial guide of food for multiple cities. And being in Dubai is a lovely place to experiment with that and with travel, given that we're in the middle of a lot of different places and we have a strong aviation network to build on to travel. (laughs) So that's been a great part as well of life outside.
0: And I want to ask one other question that came up when we were preparing for this. You had mentioned that when you got promoted to partner, you were one of the first homegrown partners in our offices in the region. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Absolutely. So we started in the region a while ago, our activities, but really building out the office around 2007. And so we've had a few people start around that time. And I was, you know, in the first batches, not the first, we have a a few pioneers before me, but in the first batch or wave of promotes who started as associate consultants and essentially stayed all the way to partner. So that's been nice as well, because I think it really changes the face of the office when you have people that have started in the office, as SACs have gone through all the levels in that environment and then become partners. It's really, I think, added and enriched to the group we have. The group is amazing, but it's always good to have that diversity as well.
0: And I want to talk a little bit about the work that we're doing in the Middle East. You know, I've had a chance to stop by the office. It was one of the few times where I opened my Uber app to come back from the mall, and I swiped from UberX to Uber Black, and there was actually Uber Chopper. And I was like, wow, I am definitely in Dubai. I can call a helicopter to take me back to the hotel. But let's talk a little bit about the work that we're doing in the region, and maybe you can start by just orienting people to what our office presence is and the countries that we're doing work in.
1: Bain Middle East is actually made up of three offices, so it's three in one. We have presence across the Middle East and North Africa, but with strong home bases in three countries, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Qatar. And that's where we do most of our work. Although, again, you know, we do work in other countries of the region as well. We're active across different sectors. It's a real Bain office. We work in different sectors, whether it's in private or public. But the three biggest practices these days are energy and natural resources, advanced manufacturing and public sector. So these are really the three practices that are driving our growth and where the market is also experiencing the most growth.
0: And how has the business been in the region from what I'm seeing in the recruiting side is the Middle East is going strong right now?
1: I think for the region, you know, there's a lot of national planning happening from different governments, private sector, conglomerates and leaders. So what we see is it's a time of excitement and growth And that was really getting reflected in the work that we do, given that we serve the leaders across different industries. So we've seen definitely a big, big push for growth. And that's translated into getting a bigger team. We have a lot of people helping us also from other offices right now, which has been amazing to see the best of Bain come together to support us because we need specialized expertise. And sometimes we we get that from some of our other offices. So yeah, definitely positive growth. But I think, you know, it's really looking at how we support the vision that different leaders have across these countries. And most of that vision has been very cross-sectoral. So we've been helping across these, uh, these different areas. It hasn't been specifically in one area. It's, it's happening across the economy based on, on their ambitions.
0: And that's really great that you're working across so many different parts of the economy in each of those offices. You mentioned that people are coming in from all over the system to support our growth in the region, but how big is the office or office cluster proper these days?
1: It's hard to keep up, honestly, because we're hiring quite fast and quite a lot of people, but we're at about 600 people right now, which is incredible because, you know, when I joined in 2011, we were around 120, 130. So I've really seen the growth from a smaller office to a massive office today with a very rich culture. It's like seeing a a startup go into a, a different phase of growth. So that's been very exciting.
0: You know, it's really great to hear about the variety of work that we're doing across the offices, but where are you spending your time and what should people expect if they were to join us in the Middle East region?
1: So I spend my time mostly in retail and public sector. Those are the two areas that I serve. And these days, I have to say, you know, on the public sector side, on the retail side, on across practices, we're quite busy. The two main engines of growth that we set out a few years ago and have really grown significantly have been the private equity practice and our public sector practice. So we've really seen a lot of diversification also happen through these two two engines of growth. So if you join the office, I think on top of the practices I mentioned earlier around energy advanced manufacturing, public sector also expect to be involved in private equity sovereign wealth fund support we do a lot of that in addition of course to retail and all these other sectors which enrich our work consumer products etc we also do a lot of that work regionally, even you know in Africa North Africa so it's quite geographically diverse and sector diverse office in terms of my focus, as mentioned it's mostly public sector and retail i do very diverse work in those faces i've looked at my profile on the bain intranet a few days ago and saw that i had done over 80 projects it made me feel like okay it's 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 passed by faster than i thought and you know really exciting projects i got to work on this year i've been working for a few years supporting clients in the space of education and early childhood development. So this is an area that's very near and dear to my heart, particularly a project focusing on early childhood development where we have a government authority in the GCC region that is really pioneering a different understanding of early childhood development, how cross-sectoral it is, And we're helping them shape their agenda and actually activate a lot of the initiatives as well. So I'm really loving the chance to have seen that journey from the beginning. A lot of times people talk about consulting and say, you just do the strategy and you leave. And we do a lot of strategy. That's our core. But actually on this effort, we've been supporting them for a while and coming back at different stages of their journey to help. And it's been wonderful to see the switch from a dream to something that's happening on the ground and actually helping them to make that happen through development of training programs and development of new programs serving children in that country. So that's been very, very exciting. And you know, obviously, we work on different things with them, so it's never the same. And we get to work with also different parts of Bain in doing that. So that's been a wonderful experience.
0: Right, and we had a, a similar experience here in Chicago. We do a lot of work with Civic Consulting Alliance, and we plug in in one of four sort of priority areas, social impact-wise, but over a multi-year horizon. And so we sort of run a little bit with them, pass the baton to them, they run a little bit, and we pick it back up. And that's one of the things that I've really liked about being at Bain for so long, because we do have sort of these multi-year client relationships where we're not always on, we're not always in the trenches with them, but you know, a couple of times a year over multiple years and you can really get to see the impact and how things are growing. What about on the private sector client side? You mentioned that you work in the retail practice. You know, what, what type of work are we doing over there? What type of work are you doing over there?
1: It's a very different type of work than what I just mentioned. But when people ask me, you know, why do you love public sector and social development and retail, I always say at the end of the day, it's about people and it's about understanding people and behaviors. And so I do a lot of work in the customer space, customer strategy, customer experience. So that's a space I'm also very passionate about for that same reason. Just recently, we worked with one of the largest conglomerates in the Middle East on helping them rethink how they structure their malls, because that's a a big part of their portfolio, and essentially thinking about how you, you know, you shape the mall of the future. So a very different type of question, but also an exciting one looking into the latest retail trends, how consumers are changing, you know, how behaviors are changing, especially because we have really digitally savvy young populations in the region. So we kind of have to To change the way we think also from a shopping consumer lens. And I think the lovely part there is it's been also a client I've worked with in the past on a very different topic. So again, you know, I feel really lucky to get a chance to work with people I really like. In both of those cases, the people I work with are people that I would consider, you know, friends that I have known for a long time. I have seen the journey of the entities over time. And really, when I work with them, it's like I'm working as part of that entity and really supporting them in doing their work. So it's been lovely to to get a chance also to to work with them again.
0: Awesome. That's really great. Outside of the client work, you're also Bain's chief DEI officer for the region of clusters. Can you give an overview of the DEI work that we're doing in the region for people that are are listening to this specifically to hear more about that?
1: Yes, of course, it's happy to do that. So we've been very active in the region around diversity, equity, and inclusion over the last 15 years, I think we started with a big focus on Women at Bain, and we have one of the most incredible teams doing the work there, and have slowly expanded it to more broadly thinking about inclusion and how we foster inclusion in the office. And so what we started was looking at our own organization and seeing how we could improve that first. So we spent the last few years really focusing on that, how we make sure we have inclusive practices, You know, whether it's training, unconscious bias, or for example, networks of support. So that was a bit of the beginning of the journey. And just a couple of years ago, started also thinking about how we can support the community externally, because obviously it's a topic a lot of companies and organizations are looking into right now, and we wanted to be part of that discussion. So a couple of years ago, we did two things. We launched a program for high potential women who are leaders, or what you could say at the cusp of leadership, N minus one, N minus two, high potential women that we really believe in and wanted to support, not only network between each other, but also help, you know, with their capabilities, executive coaching, etc., connecting them to the right people. And so we launched that in Riyadh last year, the Women's Leadership Forum. And we have another edition this year, which we're really excited about. And it's been very inspirational, honestly, to see the the women that we have and and learn from them as well, and also help them think about how to build this dialogue on diversity, equity, inclusion in their own workplaces. So that's been great. And a second thing we've done is design and launch a report, which came out just a couple of months ago or in the middle of the summer, around May focusing on advancing gender equity in the Middle East, especially in the GCC region.
0: The report that you mentioned was titled Advancing Gender Equity in the Middle East Workforce. Can you talk a little bit about that report? And then earlier in our conversation, you mentioned the GCC, and maybe for people unfamiliar with the region, you can just start by defining what that is and then talk a little bit more about the findings in the report.
1: Of course. So the report was an effort we started about a year ago. We've been wanting to do it for a long time, but you know it took a bit of time to put things together. And essentially the reason we wanted to do this report was to create more research and evidence about the topic of women in the workplace and women in leadership. We wanted to take these two lenses. We focused on the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is essentially the collection of countries in the region where we're based. So, you know, looking at Saudi, looking at Kuwait, the UAE, Qatar, etc. And the reason we did that is there has been so much change and pioneering change, honestly, in the region happening around this topic. We've seen national policies, for example, in Saudi, in the UAE, in Qatar, Multiply the participation of women in the workplace significantly. I think it was 141% over the last 10 years, if I'm not mistaken, for Saudi. So, you know, really incredible movement and growth happening. And we wanted to, again, make sure we were part of that dialogue and discussion and had a chance to also get real data because there wasn't much that was published on this. So what we did is essentially started extensive market research, also worked with our clients and other organizations that were willing to do this to run diagnostics on their organizations, which was an incredible learning experience and uh, that had never been done before, actually. And the last point is also speaking and interviewing female leaders in the region. And I think we're proud to say that we also made an effort to really focus on locally based organizations. Of course, we also involved, you know, multinationals, but we had so many inspiring stories from locally based organizations and we wanted to make sure those voices were also reflected so that it wasn't just the voice from organizations from other regions working here.
0: Right. 100 percent. And part of what you want to make sure of is that as you're improving, you're not improving, for example, the working opportunities and career opportunities for women that are multinationals that are going to basically advance up and out of the region. You're talking about people that are based locally, working with locally based companies and advancing their careers. Now, let me ask you, on the back end of all that research, you know, what were some of the findings and what were some of the systemic barriers responsible for maybe limiting the upside growth in, in women's careers over, you know, over the last decade or so?
1: I think there's four main findings that you know, stick out to me and that I'd want to share. The first one is that, you know, although we wanted to start this research by thinking about breaking the bias, we found that the biases still exist and they don't only exist in the region. Bain has done research across multiple countries that show that biases exist across the world. So whatever we're going through here is something that you know other places are also going through, um, whether it's in Europe, the US or, or the like but they do exist and they are a reason that, you know, that really hinder the development of women in the workplace and the sustainability of their growth. So that was the first one. The second one is that representation really matters. So actually we found that there was a tipping point when an organization has 30% of women or above, the culture starts to change and practices start to become more seamless when it comes to women's integration and growth. And that's even more the case when it's 30% of the leadership which we found quite a few organizations had, but it's still, you know, in the early stages.
0: That 30% number is really interesting because I, I would imagine that when you're below 30%, the burden for educating the largely non-female workforce falls to a small number of people, or the burden for recruiting, which is something we see inside Bain with some of our diversity affinity groups, fall to the same group of people that are trying to do the work they need to do to advance in the company. And 30%, you're saying, is that tipping point where, where you start to get the network effect and the ball rolling?
1: Absolutely. And we've seen that in academic research, which we had looked at, but also in practice, like the organizations that we analyzed when they were above that threshold, it was just a different ballgame in terms of results and practices. So that was really insightful to see. And that's why we think, you know, representation really does matter. And then, of course, it's not just having the numbers, you have to have the right practices, but but that tipping point is is important. The third main insight is that organizations can really make a change. It's not all governmental efforts, although in the region, the government has been really critical in driving that change through policies and quotas sometimes and a different set of efforts that have made a massive impact. Organizations have a big responsibility in this too. And there's a set of practices that when we see applied, whether it's, you know, setting your vision with target figures or goals or having the right support system for women and investing in women in their promotion and ensuring you have that growth. So the things that we all know about and that sound like everyone should do them, but, but aren't yet happening everywhere. And so that was, you know, important to say you governments play a role, but organizations really have a big role to play too. And it was very inspiring to see that some of the most pioneering organizations were also some of the local companies that we interviewed that had been doing some of these practices for a while. So that was, I think, the third main insight that I wanted to share. And, you know, the, the last one is that We have different types of companies based on the practices they adopt. And in the region, we have quite a good mix of these archetypes, but there's different ways to get to good results. There's some elements which are basics, but then there are different practices and ways you can adopt. And we found really good ones here. I mean, organizations that have been doing pay parity for years and are really implementing this very successfully and organizations that even allow externships, for example, between different organizations for female leaders. So a lot of exciting learnings from organizations, and we're hoping to turn that into on-the-ground efforts, working with different organizations to create more awareness and work with corporates to support them. And all of this is part of our DNI and social impact work in the region. So we do that really from that purpose.
0: Now, one of the things that was in the report was these sort of five pillars that companies can keep in mind or organizations, because it doesn't even necessarily have to be a private company, but five key pillars that organizations should keep in mind when they're pursuing their sort of gender parity goals. Can you talk a little bit about what those pillars are? Because I think it's really insightful to sort of see them as a group and realize it's not any one thing, but it's sort of a collection of activities that really start to move the needle and get us past that 30% threshold you mentioned earlier.
1: Yes, sure. I think that the first one, you know, which seems like the most foundational in a way, is is just having a formalized gender equity strategy or plan. It doesn't need to be a fancy strategy. Sometimes it's just on a page putting together goals and objectives that the organizations have, but this is really critical, having this kind of holistic strategy, vision, and commitment from the leadership, and visible commitment from the leadership, because sometimes the leadership is committed, but it's not something that's widely communicated. The second big part is culture, inclusion, and belonging. We all are guilty of sometimes demonstrating unconscious bias or not creating the most inclusive environment. It happens all the time. Sometimes you're in an office, especially in the region where we live, with you know, 45, 50 nationalities and two people speak in a language and don't realize the third person doesn't understand. So it could be, you know, very small things, but they do matter. So working a lot on being intentional and thoughtful around your culture, inclusion and belonging and how to foster that is really important. The third pillar is talent journey. This goes all the way from interviewing. Do you have a woman interviewing in your team? Do you make sure that in every interview you have, you have also enough female candidates and that you've gone out of your way To make sure you have female representation in the candidates. So, from there all the way to promotions and growth and sponsorship. So, that really comes as a big part. The fourth pillar is compensation and benefits, pay parity, salaries being paid fairly for the work that you do. And the last one is really around external engagement. So, working with customers, suppliers, the community, and governments to essentially help make a change also outside of your own organization. And what's been interesting is to see that different sectors perform very differently on these. Some started the journey a while ago, like retailers, because they have a lot of female consumers as well. So they try to think from that perspective and others have taken a bit longer to get there.
0: And as we start to close, I want to take us back to where you started thinking about... Working in social impact, working in the public sector on your way into college, and then you think about your journey now and all the over a decade at Bain, what would you like for people to take away about your journey and the work that we're doing in the region? Again, you're somebody who appears to be comfortable in any corner of the world, and you've chosen to make the Middle East region your home, and you're driving phenomenal results both in the public sector and private sector in the region. And what advice would you give to people that are on the front end of their careers and thinking about where they can make their mark on the world?
1: These are big questions. I'm going to try to, to answer them in the best way. I think the first answer that I would share to your question on what do I take away from the last 12 years is that you don't need to be a certain age or a certain background to get a chance to work on topics that really matter and help make a real difference. I was in my first years at Bain working with ministers, with CEOs, learning how they think and then taking that in and helping them think about different topics. And of course, we are not there young people giving advice in that way. We work with our clients to develop the best answers based on the expertise, the unique expertise that we have. And it's incredible to have a chance to have a voice in those settings and to not only have a voice, but create impact actively with your clients on topics that really matter. So I'm very grateful that I had a chance to do that and to be Part of that journey, and I think anyone can do that. I wasn't a business background, and you know, there was nothing that predestined me to that career necessarily, but you know, I've seen people from so many different backgrounds do really well at Bain because it's more about the way you think and how you learn versus a degree you have or a background you have. So I think that's what I would say, you know, it's probably the most important takeaway. And in terms of people being at the beginning of their career. Probably the main message I would have is be bold in trying different things. If you're keen to learn and continuously learn, feel like you never stop learning (laughs) and, you know, you want to explore different things, then Bain is a wonderful place to do that because every project that I start, I feel like I'm learning again. And becoming deeply specialized in a new area, building on everything else I know. But there's always a new challenge, a new question to think about. And that's been incredible. It gives me a lot of energy to get a chance to do that. So I think if you're open to learning, if you're curious about different things, and if you want to contribute to important topics, then this is a great place to do that. And don't worry about, again, not having learned anything particular, a specific topic or specialized in another
0: and I want to thank you for coming on today. You shared a lot of really great wisdom and insight into the region. And just on a personal note, we have not had a chance to work together before preparing to tape this episode. But I look forward to seeing you at our Global Leadership Summit in the future. And thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you so much, Keith, especially since it's so early, your time. So thank you for your energy and for facilitating this. It's been really a pleasure to, to spend more time with you.